And another thing And another thing Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Clement. Jody Jenkins cannot make it this evening, but we'll have a great show regardless, and he sends his best regards to all of our listeners and followers and uh, keep uh, those uh, comments coming in. We, we did get a, another set of comments uh, from our uh, podcast platforms, so uh, we really appreciate the feedback. We also appreciate the sponsorship that we have every week, every podcast, including our presenting sponsor. That That's right, John Mutton and the gang at Municipal Solutions, always our presenting sponsor for this podcast. Uh, they offer development services, project management, including things like development approvals, permit expediting, planning services with and for municipalities, engineering services, architectural services, uh, things like minor variances, land severances. They are Ontario's leading MZO firm. Go to municipalsolutions.ca and they can help you out. We also have, yeah, the harrislegacy.ca. We're talking about the uh, book about Mike Harris and his uh, terms as premier. Uh, the Harris Legacy Reflections on a Transformational Premier that is available wherever you buy your books. You can also order it online at the Harris Legacy. .ca, and the premise of the book is that we're living in Mike Harris's Ontario today, that uh, a lot of the things that have happened uh, in our province continue to reverberate. And uh, this is a series of essays. We have contributors, including David Frum, Jack Mintz, Gord Miller, David Hurley, and others. It's edited by Alistair Campbell. And if you look back at some of our ba back uh, podcasts, he was, was in fact a guest several weeks ago. So, uh, and this has become a bestseller. So, uh, certainly, I encourage you to look it up. Go to theharrislegacy.ca to order yours. Of course, we have a terrestrial uh, radio partner that is Hunters Bay Radio in Muskoka. Every Saturday morning, this and other podcasts are rebroadcast, and you can go to huntersbayradio.com. And then, finally, if you like this show and enjoy it, we think you'll love the podcast, Not Reserving Judgment, from our friends at the Canadian Constitution Foundation, a charity de dedicated to a freer Canada. In each episode, hosts Josh DeHaas, Joanna Barron, and Christine Van Gein update you on the latest legal news, tell you about legal stories that you might have missed, and give their bad legal takes of the week, where they take a lighthearted look at the legal opinions that didn't quite land. Not Reserving Judgment isn't just for lawyers. It's a show for all Canadians who care about their rights and freedoms. The hosts aren't afraid for controversial topics. I was listening to the podcast the other day. They, they were tackling the issue of uh, the BC Supreme Court ruling that um, uh, legalizes uh, uh, selling and, 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 uh, and consuming drugs near uh, schoolyards and uh, other public facilities. So yeah, very controversial judgment out of BC on that. Yes, so they're not afraid of these controversial topics. And uh, we, uh, we can say that you can find Not Reserving Judgment wherever else you get your podcasts. Download the latest episode today. On this episode, 
We're very, very happy to have our guest. He is none other than Rob Laidlaw. He is a Juno's-nominated songwriter, musician, and producer. He's performed in such uh, acts as Platinum Blonde and Honeymoon Suite, as well as with Alana Miles and Kim Mitchell and others. Rob Laidlaw, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks so much, Tony. I, uh, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. What are you up to now? That's, I guess, the first question. Uh, okay. Well, as as you had mentioned, you know some of the um, the um, better known artists that I've uh, worked with and produced and recorded with. Um, I've always um, sort of a big part of my career has been songwriting and and producing, and um, mm. I'd say that that's sort of been the um, the thread that has kept me, um, uh, you know, alloyed to the music industry my entire career. And that is the songwriting and the producing. I started songwriting when I was 15 years old, started playing the guitar when I was 13. And by 15, I was actually composing my own songs in my very first band. And uh, it, be, it, it was just a very um, useful tool you know, throughout my entire career without, with, you know, like some of the, the artists that you mentioned, Alana, Platinum Blonde, Honeymoon Suite, my uh, songwriting skills became very um, uh, useful uh, as, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I'd either, uh, well, I, I inevitably I'd co-write with all of those artists and uh, end up producing their um, their albums as well. But initially, my sort of gateway into <clears throat> working with all these artists was as a sideman. So, okay, I, yeah, my my career's sort of been a um, a, a combo platter of um, performance, um, production, and composing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, what I'm doing today, and, and you is, you've, is you've got us uh, before you before you things. those three things, yeah. 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 So yeah, I was going to say, because, uh, really, um, what you were able to do at a, at a, at a young age was develop a skill for creativity in the music business, which is not a skill that, uh, everybody has. They may have skills in, in, in performance and skills in playing, but the actual songwriting and then getting into, into producing, which is in itself a creative activity, that that's uh that's kept you in the business really it it really did yeah and and you know what i would i would wager to say with you know the, the very small exception i mean you know 0.001% of of musicians that actually um you know hit that plateau of uh of of being composer performer artist and and then actually converting that into a commercially viable um, be, and being able to monetize their their creative intelligence in such a way that they have a flourishing li- lifelong career. And just before we came on air, you had mentioned you'd um, interviewed Kim, and uh, I had uh, the yeah. honor of performing with Kim for um, two and a half years, toured with him, and um, and uh, right. I mean, it was a thrill of a lifetime for me because growing up, one of my biggest influences was Rush, but also a um, uh, a band that was equally as popular, uh, not internationally so much, but certainly in Canada, and that was a band called Max Webster. And Kim Mitchell was the lead Max singer, Webster, the, yeah. the composer of Max Webster. So 
at uh, at the age of 14, I remember being at at Maple Leaf Gardens on New Year's Eve watching Max Webster opening for Rush. And literally a decade mm. later, I was in a rehearsal hall uh, performing those very uh, same songs. Yeah, no, it was, it was, I, I don't know if you remember that show, Tony, it was about 30 years ago, Thrill of a Lifetime. And uh, that, yeah, that yeah, yeah. literally, yeah. I, yeah, I lived it when I had the opportunity to play with, to play with Kim. So, yeah. I keep I keep up with him. Uh, of course, he does an annual show at the Kitabala in Muskoka, where I live, and uh, uh, it's just amazing to to see him uh, play those uh, those songs from a million vacations from the those Max Webster days, uh, uh, as well as uh, Patio Lanterns and all the other favorites that we know of him. He's still still going strong after all these years. It's, it's, oh it's, yeah, it's no, and and you know what? I mean, he's he's a sort of a perfect example of of an artist that you know again he he started when he was uh uh in his in his teens he uh he and his um you know his high school buddy ended up becoming uh, co-writers uh uh you know for all of the max webster stuff and then um you know all of the solo kim mitchell stuff and you know they grew up in sarnia went to high school moved to toronto when they're late teens and and it was sort of a really uh, almost like a textbook case story of you know uh following your dreams and and it actually transpiring and but as i said i it's a very small percentage of of people that i've you know worked with over the years that have been able to convert that creative intelligence into a uh, you know mon- monetarily viable scenario and then um, so in my case, for instance, I've always, it's been, as I say, it's been under the umbrella of the music industry, but I've sort of been very diversified. I've been, uh, you know, I've been a songwriter, I've been a, a record producer, I've been a performer, you know, meaning touring uh, with the artists. And then, you know, invariably what I would do when, when I'd be touring with some of these artists, I'll use Honeymoon Suite uh, as an example, you know, as the tour was sort of winding down, they... Um, uh, they'd be talking about, you know, the next recording project because, you know, the life of an artist certainly, uh, and well, let's, Honeymoon Suite's a good example, but Kim's an even better example because, you know, he would, he would, uh, you record a record. Uh, ideally, you have songs that people latch on to and they become popular. And then, you know, that justifies going out on the road and performing them for people. But then, you know, you usually get an 18 to 24 month uh, life out of that specific body of work. And then, you know, you're literally on to your next project, which hopefully will, I mean, it's like a stepping stone. Hopefully it will elevate your career each, each, uh, album. I mean, and again, that's an antiquated concept that you and I grew up with, uh, Tony albums and, uh, and, and, uh, and then, um, you know, you'd go into the recording studio, you'd spend a period of time writing the next album, you go into the recording studio, you'd use, use a, either a record producer, sometimes self-produced, but often you'd use a record producer, someone that specifically had the, the, you know, proximal competence with, with recording gear and, and arrangement and that kind of stuff. And then you would uh, produce the next album that would hopefully, uh, continue to uh, engage the audience that you had built and, and, and expand that audience. Right. So that that's, so Kim, Kim is a great example of an artist who was able to 
literally compose, uh, perform, and then, you know, continue to uh, press play and repeat uh, over the course of, of a, of a 30 year career, mm-hmm. which is ideally what, what, um, all artists want to do. Uh, again, though, right. um, it's a very, it's a very rarefied club. And, um, uh, I, three months ago, I was very fortunate enough to be in, uh, in that club. Uh, Max Webster was inducted into the walk of fame as was the band that I was yeah. working with platinum blonde. Yep. And a number of other bands that I've worked with as well. So, um, I, I, and you my, had that my, big, uh, big event at Massey Hall. That's that's right. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, it was a yeah. Oh, it was yeah. a great, a great, great, fun evening. And and again, all of us, as I, I say, we we um, we're we're now labeled Heritage Acts, and we um, we sort of uh, run into one another on festivals every summer, right? So, uh, I'm I'm currently. Yeah, I currently tour with a band called Toronto, who started. Right, I remember them. Yeah, yeah, and right. um, and so we now, um, you know, uh, uh, we often end up spending, uh, you know, uh, a weekend, uh, at, at least two or three every summer, uh, hanging out in uh, the you know cities all across from uh, Victoria to uh, St. John. So it's. It's still an awful lot of fun, and uh, as I say, one of the thing that I've always um, uh, that has kept me sort of uh, uh, in not only entrenched but employed in the industry is is my um, abilities as a songwriter, producer, and then performer as well. Uh, my, the point right, being that right, right, you know, it's it's you're very you know it's a very you're it, um, part part of it's luck, but part of it's timing. You know, to be able to uh, to mm-hmm. hit the market in such a way that, you know, I mean, you look at one of the biggest artists of all time that Canada ever produced, and it, you know, it's uh, a kid from uh, Stratford, Ontario, that literally went viral uh, at the beginning of the YouTube craze. YouTube craze, right? Uh, Justin Bieber. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. So um, that that in terms of what it is I do today, it's it's pretty much what I've always done, right? I've always it's always been a um, a combination of of the uh, songwriting, pr- uh, performing, and producing. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to get your take on the state of the Canadian music industry today, because you, you mentioned uh, Justin Bieber, and uh, obviously we've got some tremendous new talent. But it's it must be really hard to break in these days, eh? Well, you know, Tony, it's a funny thing because I remember <clears throat> I came up in the early '80s. And, um, and that was the exact label that was sort of attached to the music industry at that point in time. And I remember in the nineties, that was, you know what, I I would say that, you know, and, and you're well aware of this, you've, you've, you know, spent your, uh, the majority of your career in politics and every, every career has its inherent challenges, right? I think, Mm -hmm. I think the most true the yeah, the most, the most fundamental challenge of the music industry is is you know monetizing your creative intelligence right because um right i mean you know and i know for a fact that you play guitar and that i you know so there's only one tony clement that will ever that will ever hit this planet and the creative the creativity and the the um ideas that will flow through you 
are vastly different than the ideas that will flow through me, that will flow through Kim. And the, you know, the fundamental difference is opportunity, first off, uh, the ability to exploit your talents in, in a, um, you know, uh, vital way. And, you know, I always feel that it, exploit gets uh, uh, a bad rap, but, you know, exploiting in a positive way and a healthy way. Right. And, and then, and then the, um, the, the pipeline and the means to get it to, to the public. And this very device that we're uh, communicating on right now has been a huge advantage to the last two decades of, of uh, musicians coming up through the ranks, right? We're able to yeah, uh, yeah. we're able to reach a broader scope uh, of people instantaneously and globally. So if you actually, you know, do due diligence with with the technology, you can you can in a in a much more cost effective way reach a broader audience. And if you're, I mean, YouTube is a great example of of. Uh, of if you can actually, you know, if you can uh, get a channel, if you can get subscribers and all of these things and then navigate the optics of that, you can get, uh, you know, advertisers, you can, and then once you reach a certain number, you, it, you know, the, the channel becomes monetized. So there, there are, to say it's, it's difficult. I really think anything creative is, is, has always implicitly been difficult, but uh, I think, you know, I mean, here's the thing. You, you and I have lived through all of the, the, um, the different phases of platforms from the four track, uh, oh, sorry, the eight track recorder to cassettes, to vinyl, to CDs, to right. And, you know, and to now all I, of it, I, all I, of it, all of it. Right. So the yeah. one, the one constant that has maintained through all of the, the transformational, um, shifts in uh in in technology and everything else is is the is the individual and the creative intelligence that creates the song and the song still impacts us in uh in a very unique way like you know let's take hotel california will have a completely different meaning Mm -hmm. to you than it will have to me yet it has impacted millions of people and by association billions of people right by uh, so I think, music- I think there's still a sweet, yeah, yeah. no, I think there's still a sweet spot for the, uh, for these acts from the seventies, eighties and nineties, uh, you know, the songwriting capabilities in, in those years, uh, I'm not trying to be nostalgic because I still listen to new music and new artists and, uh, maybe I'm, uh, an outlier that way for a person of my generation. Cause I still go to see new acts that I've never seen before or heard before that kind of thing. But there, there's something about the songwriting and, you know, people have made this point that with the, with the, uh, the plat the streaming platforms now, because you can make your money uh, only if you can hook the listener for 30 seconds or more has changed songwriting so that, uh, you know, the, uh, the chorus is at the beginning rather than starting with a, you know, you talk about Hotel California. There's a long lead in before you actually get to, uh, you know, the, the, the true melody of the song and the lyrics of the song. So is that something that you're concerned about at all? The, the change in songwriting because of the platforms? Yeah. You know, you bring up a very good point and, and without getting too philosophical about it, I would say that each decade sort of presented a unique musical template for to the listener 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, the, using, say, the Eagles as an example, they sort of really rose up in the 70s. And the 70s, I mean, the you know, they, they, they always had, there was always a diverse sort of uh, smorgasbord of, of, of different styles to choose from whatever your taste, wherever your taste may land, right? So the Eagles would mm-hmm. fall into a pop progressive, pop progressive rock category. But then you look mm-hmm. at someone like the Bee Gees, right? Who were in the same decade and, and hugely successful, but very, uh, you know, hit a very different market, right? And in right. terms of, in terms of the, uh, I mean, a uh, God, this is, this is a, a phrase that I, I, I relay to every artist I ever worked with. And it was uh, Tom Petty in his, uh, his, uh, I love this line and I've, I've stolen it for years now when I saw the documentary and he, he delivered this line when he was first signed in 1976, I think. And the okay. A&R guy said to him, he said, don't bore us, get to the chorus. And, <laughs> and, um, and if you look at say the decade, well, look at, you know, really pop music when it really began to flourish w- would have been the fifties. Right. And arguably Elvis was one of the purveyors of, of bringing it to, uh, you know, the, the creating the whole term of pop popular music. Right. And then the sixties mm-hmm. had the Beatles, uh, you know, the seventies again, and then the eighties, the eighties, what, what occurred, you know, sort of in, in a, in a miraculous way was, you literally smashed, you know, TV and video and and the film the film world with the audio world, right? So we were no longer interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, we were no longer just, you know, radio stars. And the very first video to play on MTV was "Video Killed the Radio Star." And That's um, right. yeah, and uh, and here's here's an interesting fact that I don't know if you uh, uh, were aware of, but. A fellow that I work with quite a bit, and um, and again, I'm absolutely grateful to uh, call him not only a friend. It was his birthday yesterday, as a matter of fact, friend, but also co-writer and and colleague is Mike Reno, the singer from Loverboy, and and um, they happened to be at the right place at the right time. And when MTV launched in 1980, they they literally the platform was going to be you know six hour a day, and it was it was revolutionary at the time. You know, it was unheard right, of. We're gonna right. we're gonna run six hours of videos. It exploded exponentially, and all of a sudden they they were without content. So they literally invested millions of dollars in up and coming artists to to make videos. They they literally they were hungry for content. Loverboy had just been signed, and they literally their first their debut record. They were they lit, were paid to make six videos for their uh, the first uh, six songs that they released, and it there I mean there there's a handful of acts that I could name um, uh, Billy Idol I mean Michael Jackson of course but in Canada Brian Adams was a rep- recipient of that timing and they oh, literally yeah, absolutely. they literally became overnight superstars. Because of the fact that they were at the, they were on the 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 first responders, as it were, of this this yeah. idiom that was going to change the music industry forever, and that was the amalgamation of the audio and the visual, and it 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 just transformed. And I'll tell you, Tony, 
I was I was touring with this the, a well known artist Lee Aaron is her name, and we were oh um, Lee Aaron yeah yeah, yeah it was I it was her. one of her 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 biggest records she ended up doing, and we were at the um, I can't remember the name of the the, the Capitol Theater in the Grand Theater I think in in Sudbury anyway we're side stage and we're getting ready to go on. And, uh, and this guy, uh, taps me on the shoulder. He goes, you're Rob Laidlaw, aren't you? And I thought, who the heck are you? But our video, <laughs> had just gone, our video had just gone number one that week. Our Lee Karen's oh, uh, yeah. Lee's video had just gone number one that week. And I was in the video. Right. And, and, you know, right. I mean, you and I grew up looking at the backs of album liner notes, just toiling over who wrote what and what the names of the band members were <laughs> and and the lyrics and everything else. And, you know, that was, that was still a vital part of the uh, experience, the very visceral uh, experience of buying and purchasing music. And, um, and I remember at that time thinking, wow, this is, this is wild, right? Someone, you know, hundreds of miles away because he picked up the, the, the record and saw that I performed on the record and knew that I was the bass player. I was about to go on stage, but I mean, that's just a microcosm of, of, you know, the big superstars, right. What occurred globally for them. But, but I think, I think at the end of the day, it's always, there's always been a sort of a, whether it's subconscious or fully conscious perspective that you have to hook the listener. So even using Hotel California, as an example, the intro, the musical intro is laden right. with musical hooks that you literally, and I call them earworms. They literally mm -hmm. burrow into your ear. You know, they become so, they're just so melodically enticing that you just, you, you can't forget them. And that's what a hook is, right? Something that you, it's repetitive, yeah. repetitive li listening. Um, you want to not only hear it again, but it just stays with you, right? In your in your consciousness. Indeed. Then, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's so, a, that's a great point. That's. A, yeah. You mentioned uh, a video killed the radio star. First song on MTV. The second song on MTV yeah. was the artist was Pat Benatar. You there you run. go. There you go. So you can you can you can win some trivia contests knowing the second song on MTV. Well, the, uh, you that's, know what? That's I what we're all about here. And and here's a fellow that, <laughs> that's uh, down the road. Uh, if you haven't already reached out to him, you could. Is Eddie Schwartz, who wrote Pat Benatar's one of Pat Benatar's biggest hits, "Hit Me with Your Best Shot," uh, and he's oh, a, yeah, uh, a good yeah. old uh, Willowdale boy, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, the story on that song was that it was uh, kind of a slow ballady song, and then yep. uh, Pat and her husband got a hold of it and and uh, sped it up, and uh, the rest is history, right? So there you go. Yeah, and well, yeah, and even deeper than that, is even deeper than that, Huey Lewis was in an office down the way from. Uh, Pat's manager listening to the song he wanted the song and the two of them apparently their management companies were battling for the song and and uh, Pat because Pat oh, Benatar was gosh. an unknown entity at the time and right, uh, right. anyway they, they took a risk with her and look it became her signature song so I you never know like that you never yeah, know you never you never know so you got to tell us some uh, crazy stories from the road uh, what uh, what stinks sticks out in your mind you know what, there's, truthfully, you know, and I actually just got back from a road trip, 
because I'll just I'll briefly tell you one of the things that I'm doing right now from on a from a performance uh, perspective is uh, in the last year I've become involved with tribute projects, tribute bands, and it's one right. of the things that you know back in the day it not only did it it didn't really exist but it was almost frowned upon by you know the you know us band members and people that were touring you know the 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 uh, actual um songs that were were being performed on the radio but in the last i'd say the last two decades the tribute world has exploded and in the since unbelievable COVID, in covid since covid it's it's the fastest growing trend in the music industry and you know there's a number of reasons for it and one of them is is quite simply a great deal of these bands just simply aren't touring anymore and and you right. you mentioned a very valid point earlier when you you touched on the fact that you know maybe I'm being nostalgic here talking about the eagles but the 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 music of uh, I mean the music of every generation uh, is massively impactful for that generation, but exactly yeah. there there are there are certain decades and the eighties specifically, and you know whether it was the fact that the pop industry had had sort of been you know had been gaining momentum and had enough inertia and 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 the art of writing a good song really just uh, culminated in a decade of incredible artistry and songwriting ability. And the '80s really sort of has been, you know, it's it's transcended through some of the other trends of the different decades, right? And um, mm-hmm. some of those bands like Foreigner and and it's even Loverboy and Styx and uh, Survivor and and Journey, Journey, uh, these, yeah, the, the, yeah. These are these are songs and bands that are still deeply impactful, right? Like. Great example. We um, uh, with Toronto, we opened for. Uh, I had the I, uh, I had the opportunity of seeing Foreigner a few times this summer because Loverboy was opening for them, and um, mm-hmm. you know Mike was kind enough to invite me down. But Toronto, we opened for Lou Graham, who who is the voice of of, of uh, Foreigner, and mm-hmm. and it was remarkable, Tony. The the age variance in the crowd, like there were there were ten year olds and seventy year olds, and. So yeah. those songs, and, I and love I'm, not, that. I'm not discounting the, the, you know, the seventies and, and the, you know, the nineties and everything else, but the eighties and it was, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to, to, um, um, focus on, on the decade that, you know, I was sort of, that I, I came up in the industry, uh, within, but that, that specific decade created some indelible massively impactful songs that have stood the test of time. Right. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I, and I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, one of the reasons is what I just mentioned, but back to the tribute thing, most of these bands, you know, I mean, the Eagles are, are doing their last tour. Kiss just did their last tour. I mean, and you know, Aerosmith. That's right. And you look at, you know, you look at Kim, you know, Kim's, Kim's, you know, going into his 73rd year. And, and here's the thing, someone, you know, and I've got friends, um, uh, and I know, you know, for instance, you know, you, you spent uh, the the vast majority of your career in politics and you've kind of retired from politics in, in, in a sort of a Mm -hmm. uh, public way. 
But um, right. you know, I, all, of all the musicians that I that I know and and still uh, see and and run into, the concept of retirement just never enters our 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 um, our, our comprehension because you know one of the things that that us humans do is you know or where how we spend our time on this planet is keeping the wolf away from the door and what we've all done to do That's that right. our entire career has been also a um, it, it's been a blend of what we love to do what we've what we what we do as our hobby and um i mean it's, it's a funny thing because um you know all, growing up and and um all through my life you know uh, people would say, well, where are you playing? And what do we associate playing with generally? You know, childish behavior, right? And uh, mm, so, playing, yeah. Yeah. So I've been paid to play and I play right. for money my my entire yeah. life, as all the other musicians. So the, the concept of, of ever stopping or giving it up. And I think if you were to, to if we were to call Kim right now and say, uh, you think of hanging up the the uh, guitar strap anytime soon? You'd say, "What for?" I love it, and yeah. and and you know, for that <laughs> very simple, you know, reason existentially, we really have been blessed and gifted to be able to do what we've loved our whole lives and and will continue to do. But there will come a time where you know, just the 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 ravages of of uh, age and everything else will preclude us from doing that. And what? I'm doing right now, uh, what I've been involved in is this, this tribute world and the tribute that I'm currently tribute, tribute, tribute band world. Uh, I literally have a tribute to Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin. And we just got back from the U S doing a successful run down there in casinos and uh, sold out houses. And, you know, we're talking about artists now that from the late sixties that, you just you'll never see obviously because they died back then and and an int- interesting fact i don't know if you know about those three artists they all died at the age of 27 they're in the 27 club 27 yeah that's right that's right a- amy winehouse is another one uh, and kurt, uh, cobain. kurt cobain yeah, that's right so that i know world, as a matter of fact, next month i'm actually performing with uh with the preeminent eagles tribute band called hotel california and um oh fantastic yeah so so that that that's well, do they have do you have you got some uh yeah have you got some from, canadian dates lined up for that for our audience oh, yeah, to know yeah, about absolutely. from from a performance perspective though it's it's you you know it's it's a uh affordable night out for the the patron um because as you know yeah. i mean you go see the eagles you get the nosebleeds it's 500 oh yeah right so you got it. And, yeah, and the fact absolutely. that, the, yeah. and quite simply, the Eagles just, you know, I mean, I've got a good friend who does an Elton John tribute. He's, he's, he's doing great business. And, 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 you know, I mean, I actually, last week I did a, um, uh, radio interview with, uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, Brian Crombie, he has a radio show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, I did a radio show with Brian and he, uh, he said one of my favorite acts to go see is, uh, Elton Ron is his name. And he's an Elton John oh, yeah. tribute. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there you I go. No, they're all they're all over. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's and as a matter of fact, there's a, a wonderful soft cedar up in uh, Gravenhurst, and um, uh, I'll probably be uh, you know uh, working my way up there this summer. As a matter of fact, so 
And uh, you mentioned good, Isabella, good, good. Well, it's also a, a great venue as well. It's a great venue. We're very blessed uh, in uh, this part of the country to have some historic venues, and uh, it's great to see these bands out and about. We're we're out of time. Uh, maybe uh, tell your fans uh, where they can, uh, uh, you know, a website to go to about what you're up to and uh, and where okay, to see well, some of these so, acts. So so the the uh, the name of my show is called Echoes and Icons, and you can uh, okay. you can check us out. Uh, at www.echoesandicons.ca. And uh, that will be updated uh, with uh, the, the coming shows. I'm actually booking a run in Florida right now at the end of uh, February, Fantastic. two weeks down in Florida. Yeah. And then we're going to be, well, we, listen, I, don't, I, I, have, I'm, I have festival shows and stuff coming up too, but yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I, I, I'm, Definitely making a commitment to to see at least one of those shows uh, this uh, this year, Rob. It's great to see how busy you are and how you're still making a, an impact on on music and Canadian music in particular. So, thanks for coming on the show. I'm just going to thank our sponsors one more time: Municipal Solutions, John Mutton and the Gang. You can find out all about their their work for you at MunicipalSolutions.ca. The HarrisLegacy.ca is where you find out about the, the new book, The Harris Legacy, Reflections on a Transformational Premier. Uh, Hunter's Bay Radio, Terrestrial Radio every Saturday morning. Hunter'sBayRadio.com. You can have a repeat of this show and many other podcasts. And finally, Not Reserving Judgment Podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. And Jody will be back with me next time, next week.